said 1919 the 2019 <laughs> ryan johnson It, knives out we're going to break it down one minute of screen time at a time i'm your host for this week my name is paul francis sullivan please call me sully i'm the host of locked on mlb podcast i also created the bull durham minute podcast and i may be having new podcast stuff going on i'm also going to be doing a uh, guest hosting on the best years of our lives movie minute group project which is a uh, very different film from this, but it's been a lot of fun doing this and that at the same time. Doing this, doing that, we're going to be doing Minute 109, which begins with Harlan in a flashback saying he has he is being sane for the first time in his life and ends with Ransom walking out of camera range back to his house. So here is someone who does not feel sane, not this time or any part of his life, because he is like me and is one of those people who's doing approximately 78 podcast projects at the same time. And like me, making just the absolute riches of Midas, the man who has more money than Harlan Thromby, based upon his podcasting empire, <laughs> the creator of Fright Night Minute, is Robin Birch. How you doing, Robin Hey, doing great. I wish that made money. You can make money at podcasting? <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, uh, I've made a little bit of money behind the scenes, but the one <laughs> I actually host is like, uh, hey, uh, let me get together all my money that I've ever made and uh, we're going to buy a pizza. Huh, yeah. Can I have a couple of bucks to make up the delta between what I've earned and what the pizza costs? That'd be great. Thanks. You want lot. toppings on that pizza? I mean, this that's a lot of podcasting. <laughs> But we do it for the love, and someone who right. is not doing something for the love is Harlan being at his father's birthday party because he's clearly there to make sure he's still in the will. And the you mean Ransom. Ransom, sorry. What did I say? <laughs> you said Harlan. I said Harlan. <laughs> you know, this is why when I had Heidi Bennett on, I just kept saying the actors' names because I was trying to get through it. <laughs> and speaking of the actors, boy, uh, this is a battle of Chris's right here. Mm-hmm. Christopher Plummer. And Chris Evans, two big stars from very different eras, big blockbusters from different eras. Yep, we got Captain America versus Ming the Mer- Merciless right here. So. Oh, no, 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 Ming the Merciless was Von Sydow. Oh God, I always get Christopher Plummer and Max Von Sydow mixed up all the time. No, this is uh, this was uh, Von Trapp. <laughs> Von Trapp from The Sound of Music, and and of course, I mean Chris Evans is great in this scene. Chris Evans is great because we're going back and forth between the two where he's just enraged at his grandfather and has the smug sort of, you know, that's a lot of conjecture. He's the, the classic guy being about to be caught by Columbo saying, mm-hmm. oh, Lieutenant, this what you're saying is outrageous. But like you don't he's not screaming. I'm innocent. Yeah. And and, uh, you know, that that transition to where ransom says that's some heavy duty conjecture 
it, you see in the flashback, whether I'm not sure, is this, is this exactly what happened or, or is this what, uh, is this just Blanc's version of it, which happens to be correct. But the, the, the line that he says going into it is I'm warning you, which is definitely a threat. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually you make a great point there, Robin, because I was wondering this when they were doing, uh, the interrogation scenes that when we see Don Johnson and we see Michael Shannon and we see Tony Collette and everyone talk about uh, being asked about their conversation with Harlan. And then we cut to the, conver- the what actually happened in the conversation, which contradicts what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I've often wondered who's that po- or is that the point of view of us, the audience who's being brought into it? Is that the point of view of the characters remembering what actually happened. Remember, don't mention this, don't mention this. It, it's how reliable is the narrator that we're watching in this? And so whose point of view are we seeing this in? Ransom and, is sure calling that into question by saying that's some heavy duty conjecture. So it makes me, that, makes me wonder. <laughs> yeah. And I actually don't think there's a straight answer. I, I, I don't think that this is, this is one of the things that, you know, you and I, had a disagreement in, uh, and and I hope we've patched things up from that disagreement. But we I and I had gotten past it, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm still not past arguments I had in the third grade, so uh, <laughs> it'll be a while before you and I bury the hatchet. <laughs> we'll make a cozy pot of tea, and <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, the the teapot from the Agatha Christie Award, yeah, and um, a callback to the previous episode. But yeah, it's like who who is seeing this moment? Is this is you know, it's obviously shot super dramatically, but then again, so is the whole GD movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this Benoit Blanc piecing together in his mind, or is this uh, is this Chris Evans remembering it, or is this just us as the audience using a cinematic device? And I think that that's. I said I don't think there's one definitive answer for this. I. I honestly, it, it kind of brings into another point I had during this minute. I'm just thinking about it. Uh, the idea, like he says, uh, he goes, you tell Marta what? An overwhelming sense of clarity. So at least a couple of moments in this big monologue here, he refers to things that uh, Marta told him that Ransom, Ransom told her. So first I'm thinking, did Marta just recite word for word the conversation she had with Ransom uh, in that uh, restaurant? Or has Benoit Blanc been watching this movie with us and knows <laughs> exactly what this, that, that, these conversations were? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That, that That's and, – and do you know what? I almost don't want to know. Yeah. I, you know, it or, works. Or, or I don't want – like I'm not going to listen to the DVD commentary and find – I want this to be – uh, you can watch this in, in several different ways. And, and I, I I have some of my thoughts, but it kind of jumps back and forth. I think that this isn't specifically Benoit's imagination nor specifically Chris Evans's uh, memory of it. I just think this is us being brought into there as a, as a viewer. I think this is cinema, but someone else may have a different point of view and I don't want to have something on record. I think it's great. I think it's the sign of this being a smart movie and that yeah. is you can watch it from different perspectives and uh, it's just great. Now, talking about talking, now I'm going to keep pushing forward in this and we have yeah. great, eye, great eye work 
by uh, uh, <laughs> Daniel Craig, and very subtle eye work by Chris Evans, who's fuming in the flashback sequence and calm, you know, and he, and he points out, uh, you know, uh, you know, big teeth work also going on from Daniel Craig. And by the way, I also just want to say, uh, if you had any thought of Trooper Wagner being in on this, he's in the background and he couldn't look more confused. <laughs> That's true. Well, he's like, yeah, he's the like, dog in the RCA logo staring at the phonograph at that point. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, I, I, I'm not sure how much I'm, I'm sure uh, Benoit, if he did tell him anything, he didn't tell him everything. <laughs> this is all new to him too. <laughs> but we cut to, this is again, some great work, great music cues in this mm. from, uh, you know, whether or not I'd want to listen to this as I'm taking a jog, but music that really serves the movie uh, by Nathan Johnson, who's Ryan Johnson's cousin mm-hmm. and has done the music for most of Ryan Johnson's movies. Obviously, there was one he didn't do. Oh, of course. The last the, one? Yeah, <laughs> a certain, a certain Jedi film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, someone else has got this one. Um, and I'm sure everyone was fine with it. But uh, yeah. there's, there's an element that I really think shows, I mean, the music is, is great, but there's an there's an element here of rare dramatic restraint from Ryan Johnson that I think works very well in the film. And that is the moment that Chris Evans in the moment of fury, we see how angry he is in this shot. The last scene we saw, we see him screaming out and we see him storming out in the previous minute. And the moment where he has that moment of clarity that he has to go from being the jerk to I'm going to see that he dies. We don't see his face. We don't right. see that moment. We just see the car the stop. Car. The car stops and turns around. That that is that is in some ways this is the most significant moment of the film because this is when he makes the decision to murder Thromby, and we just see it as a car turning around. And and. The- Oh, it's works so perfectly as a story. The, the camera slowly pulling in the, the there's not, the, it's not really lit up much. He is in the dark with these yeah. two red lights coming out from the darkness. And you can just tell that's just him sitting there thinking. And then he, and then like, like, and with, and of course with uh, Benoit Blanc's voiceover, right. And as soon as he says, then a plan forms and then the car turns around. Wonderful storytelling is so, so cinematic. Uh, it's, gorgeous to look at and another thing that is truly cinematic about uh bringing this back to this scene which is it's in the dark you can barely see it okay mm. it's in he's in shadows you see the lights of the house but you see as he's approaching the as he's walking past the up the dirt road mm-hmm. at, uh, where he parked the car and then you see him approaching the the gate where and you see the house in the background that it's kind of hard for us to see because it's so dark and yet because we've seen all these places in broad daylight when they went through the scene and they and and Marta was kind of stepping over the footprints and everything yep. so it's we already know what it looks like in the day so 
and we are reminded of those other scenes. This is when I was saying, like, bringing back, we talk about usual suspects in JFK and the conversation in the films that keep re-showing the same scene and, like, recalling it. This is not showing the same scene, but showing the same setting. And all of a sudden, him walking up there makes all the sense in the world. That we see some of the footprints and everything. And the fact that we've been there in broad daylight that we know what it looks like. So when we see in the dark, we're not confused spatially where we are. And and it reminds us of the early parts of the film. And I think it's a great piece of a great piece of visual filmmaking that we see the wheels turning in Chris Evans' character without ever seeing his face. Right. I I also like that moment right after he leaves the car and he's walking through the woods. Is that the moon shining through the woods there, or is that just a really bright light coming from maybe the house or something like for for the grounds? Oh, I thought it was a. I thought it was a one of the. I thought it was one of the lights. Hmm. Um, I, I thought that you saw. I don't think it's the moon. I think that you saw that there were like where he parked was before some of the lights in the camera when we were in. Yeah. Emmett Walsh's uh, office. So I think that that's, he parked it there because it was before he would have been tripped up. He right. even said in the voiceover, you're very careful of where to park. So he found the spot to park sort of that Venn diagram. Where can I park and not be detected? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's what that is. But I, you know, again, I could be wrong, but that's how I interpreted it. I didn't think of that as the moon, but I also didn't think of it as a, a filmmaking mistake that that was a big Klieg light that they had that they forgot to, you know, they, they forgot to, you know, tilt the camera a little to the right, <laughs> get the Klieg light out of the shot. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Ransom, he's now desperate. He's got to do something because we've seen through this movie, uh, at least a couple times, Harlan saying to his children, my mind's made up. And that is his way of being like, you know, there's no changing my mind now. Uh, and in his conversation in the flashback, he says, it's done. And so it, there's it, not only is his mind made up, but it is done. The will is will is being has already been drawn up. So uh, so what do we do about that now? And uh, and it's again, it's just like, wow, he's ransom is really smart to have thought about this on the little drive and then the stop. And then when he gets out, now he's got a plan going. So, uh, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, that's, I mean, I just love, I just wanted to emphasize the main thing I had in my notes was that the, a turnaround for his character is a literal turnaround of a car. And such a dramatic moment is, you know, they could have shown Ransom's face super mad and then think about it. Yeah. Then, um, but they didn't do that. Instead, they, huh. just, I mean, they could have very easily have done that. And this is not a film that's known for its subtlety. But the fact that they did it with just a car stopping and then turning around, uh, to me, shows uh, that it's just a wonderful way to do it. And that cinematically, it was the equivalent of seeing Chris Evans was, oh, man. I should kill him. Maybe I should kill him. Hmm. Like that meme of the basketball player, super mad. And they go, hmm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, did you, then, did you notice about, uh, did you, did you know the fact about his, I mean, we, one, one of the big things that came out of knives out is Chris Evans sweaters. 
did you did you know the fact about why he is dressed the way he is? Um, well, I had read that the customer had wanted to give him uh, expensive clothes that he did not appear to take good care right. of. Right. I didn't notice until like my second viewing that there were actually like holes in these sweaters. And so it's like, again, it's, it's a great way of them showing that he loves expensive things. Those are really expensive looking sweaters, but of course he squanders them, wears holes in them, you know? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. All right. Well, look at, I've got some more notes for the upcoming minute, but I don't know what else you have to say about it, but I just think that this is a, a great use of drama through cinematography Mm-hmm. and uh driving <laughs> yep and uh yeah i guess the other thing about the sweaters and the i i also love uh uh marta's outfit how it just seems very warm and it, you know we talked about cozy mysteries earlier this week and she, all these people in like these warm cozy outfits kind of lends to it but that's really all i had it for for my notes for this minute is it's him driving down stopping and it's it is a great moment in the movie uh uh, but yeah that's pretty much it for this minute all right man well hey look at well then let's do one more minute and we'll call it right but uh (laughs) you can follow us at i mean where knives out minute is on twitter and I am at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Do you have a Twitter account? Yeah, uh, at El Robinero. El Robinero. Well, there you go. Well, <laughs> look at this. We are 109 minutes into this. Why not making it even 110? All so right. We're come back for one more episode of Knives Out Minute. I'm your host for this week, Paul Francis Sullivan.